the highest contact rates of all the omni-channel options is phone. And I think it's going to look, look, email reply rates are two, two and a half percent. LinkedIn direct messages are probably even less. Um, the highest reply rates are phone. Therefore, it is always, I think, and will be the primary communication channel in, the, in these debates. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Joining Brad on today's episode of Decision Point, we Ben Sims, Vice President of Market Source Incorporated. And today we'll be learning a little bit more about Ben and what outsourcing is and when the best time to do it. So why don't you just tell us how you got here and, uh, and then we can get into kind of sales, uh, outsource sales development and when it's a good time, when it's a bad time. Sure. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. It's not the most uh, compelling story. I knew I wanted to get in sales uh, really since high school, maybe even before. Um, after college, I was in the golf industry for a long time. I actually got to work for Jack Nicklaus, um, and uh, he was starting up a golf equipment company, and I was a regional sales manager for him for six years. Uh, got to meet him every year uh, during sales kickoffs as we were rolling out new products or even had um, clients, uh, you know, meet him. You know, we would do awards and incentives for clients to meet him and get lessons from him. So uh, one of the most focused individuals I've ever met. I left the golf industry. Uh, and worked in higher education for 15 years, uh, career colleges, colleges focused on the healthcare field, nursing careers, IT careers, things like that, and ran those for a long time. Um, wanted to get back into B2B sales. I, that's what I was doing in the golf industry, and I wanted to get back into that. And that's how I got with MarketSource. I've been with MarketSource for the last six years, running their uh, B2B uh, division. So I oversee the delivery of all of our outsource programs on behalf of our clients. Okay. Awesome. So, so, um, so you knew early on that you wanted to be in sales, huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those rare people who you are, did not, you are I rare. did not accidentally get into it. I, I looked for a sales job right out of college. Well, the thing that sort of, so the thing about, and I don't know if it, it you know, maybe it's sale, maybe because sales isn't always maybe held in high regard, like some other professions, right? If you're a nurse or you're a teacher, um, there's some profession, we've had some people on, the show who said, Hey, I was a nurse. Like one gal said, Hey, I was a nurse and I was just, or a teacher. And a teacher is like, Hey, I was so burdened to tell people that I was moving from being a teacher to being an enterprise sales rep that I could hardly live with myself. Like I just felt like I just such an awful person that I didn't want to teach. Um, so to find somebody that knew they wanted to be a sales guy, um, that's great. So what do you go to school for? Marketing. Uh, at okay. the time, they didn't really have these sales degrees like you see now, uh, especially with the uh, the Sales Alliance Council uh, that's that's been formed now with uh, several universities. I wish that was around when I was growing up. So marketing was the closest degree I could get to sales. And then you come out of school and you work you work for Jack Nicholas's company. Is that what you said? You were doing yeah, the golfing. I, I did retail for a little bit at a golf store, okay. uh, but my my intent. Uh, all through college was to work in the golf industry as a sales rep. That okay. was my goal. And I landed it. Okay. Awesome. And then does he, I just had a curiosity cause I remember the gold because it was what the golden bear, they sold the, I remember they sold the blades with the bear on them. Yeah, there were two lines. There were two lines. The golden bear was the lower price point one. You can 
get those at Sam's Club and Walmart. I sold the higher price point one, which was called Nicholas. And uh, we sold those to like, um, well, they're not around anymore, but what would be the equivalent of a PGA Tour Superstore and those big re- uh, big golf retailers, as well as some golf courses. That's who we sold our equipment to. Okay. I used to have a McGregor Muirfield, which is not the same <laughs> brand, but it was also awesome. no. Um, that was a classic, classic golf club. Go, yeah, no, I like, I liked, I like that. So, um, so cool. So you get, you get out, and then you go. Now, as you're kind of transitioning through your career, well, here's the one thing I'll say: in almost all these pod, in almost all the podcasts that we've had, um, most of the people have gotten into sales by by accident. So, or or maybe not even by. Like literally by accident. So something just awful happens and they find themselves at a career crossroads and um, they have to make a decision and they decide, hey, I'm going to try to sell. And then typically they find that it's a really good, you know, it's a really good fit. Uh, You came out, you knew what you wanted to do. You're laser focused. You're screwing up my whole entire podcast. Sorry. (laughs) But actually, I do have I do have that hiccup in the road story. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. Um, a hiccup in my career. All right. So 15 years of working for for-profit colleges, right? So in for-profit colleges were, uh, were growing like crazy in the 2000s, early 2000s. And I oversaw several campuses. And um, really, I was the vice president of admissions at the time in marketing. And what we did is we were responsible for recruiting students, which was very much a sales motion. It was a B2C sales motion, but it was very much a sales motion. Then um, I'm not going to say right or wrong, but there were a bunch of regulations that came out uh, specific to the for-profit college industry that were not applied to the nonprofit schools. And it became a hot mess and schools were closing all over the place. Yeah, I remember this. Is this like 2012? Yeah, yeah, okay. right around there. That's exactly right. And so I was in the middle of all that. I got laid off twice. Uh, both companies went under. Um, and so I realized, hey, I need to make a career move change here. Here's my story. I, there's this, There's this. Uh, what's it called? Um, the headhunter. Uh, there's this guy online who coaches people on how to, you know, find it, their next job. And um, – he recommended what was called the library vacation. And what he called a library vacation is you, t- you did a staycation for one week. And all you did every day for that week, you took PTO, and I did this. Every day for a week, I went to the library for five days straight. And he said you go with no objective. All you do is kind of sit in the periodical section and just read and read and read. And take notes of what you're reading and pay attention to what catches your attention. What do you enjoy reading? And I'm reading and reading. I'm taking notes. And when I'm done, I identified two things that really caught my attention that I, that I said, this is what I want to do. One was I wanted to own my own business. And two was I wanted to get back into B2B sales. Those were the, it was being an entrepreneur and in B2B sales that really captured my attention during that library vacation. So soon thereafter, I moved, my family and I moved from Chicago to now Atlanta, where we live now. And one, my wife and I started a business as a side hustle. Uh, we started, at, we bought a, into a school of rock franchise. So we owned yep. a rock and roll music school. And which I think there's a couple in your area, actually, yep. really, really good ones, actually, in the Cary area. And then um, 
And then, so we did that. So boom, accomplished that. And we actually sold it. And, and so I did the whole own my own business thing. Meanwhile, my main job then positioned to market source where for the last six years, I've been running their B2B sales division. So, you know, very, very unstable time for a little bit there. That week off, that library vacation, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And and where it came from was askthehedhunter.com. If you ever go to Ask, Ask the Headhunter. Head, Ask the Headhunter. And it's this headhunter out of Seattle, and he just gives advice to people on how to transition their careers. And one of his advices was uh, library vacation, which I did, and it changed my life. Okay, so what do you read when you're on the library vacation? Like what what specifically was was jumping out at you when you're going through the periodicals? Your Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, anything about being an entrepreneur and starting your business. I was I was reading a lot about that. And then everything that was, you know, sales, also sales, but mostly selling to businesses, especially enterprise, which is who I work with today. Today. Um, is what I was mostly reading. Reading. Now, were you in, so were you interested in kind of the B2B sale because it was so st- starkly different? from the B2C sale? Like you felt like, hey, it was more, what was it about? What about the B2B sale was entertaining or interesting? <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. You're going to get me a little in trouble with my B2C friends and I have a lot of them. Um, well, I just well, think the we'll B2B beep it all out. <laughs> well, here's why. Consumers are a pain in the ass. And the reason I, and I, and I say that as one, right? Um, we're just, consumers are difficult to deal with. And so, I find B2B sales, it's more of a sophisticated sale. It's more of a business conversation. You know, I love business. I love business acumen. I love solving solving business challenges or, or identifying opportunities. I love the strategic conversation that you can have with a, in a business conversation. I love the relationship building. Uh, that's just that's just more my style. Uh, I've I've worked with consumers a very long time. Consumers are you know we're tough. We're a tough breed to yeah. sell. To. Well, it's it's hard. How do you have a strategy conversation with with a consumer? <laughs> like what's that even? It's what's always, that even? Right, it's always transactional and yeah. And, very... uh, you you better be adding value, uh, and you better be giving great customer service, especially nowadays because they will. If they don't, they'll, you'll hear about it online in reviews or social media or whatever. So, so, let me, so I want to sort of hone in on that. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of conversations in the market um, about how, you know, B2B selling uh, should be more like B2C. Uh, there should be more Netflix style. There's too much friction in the sales cycle. Everything's going to transaction. What do you think about that? Well, where I, I agree with what happens in B2B starts with B2C. So you have to pay attention to what consumers are doing because eventually that's going to bleed into B2B because the way I purchase as a consumer at home, you mentioned subscription, for example, uh, uh, offerings and all the subscriptions now that I'm paying for uh, and may not even be using all of them. Um, that is, you know, the other is an example of what you're seeing at B2B. You're starting to see subscription off. SaaS obviously is subscription-based, but you're even seeing legacy products and hardware products becoming as a service. Uh, so that's something I think the transition from B2C to B2B. You're also, another example is what I call omni-channel. You know, the consumer, you know, researches and buys in such a different way. They're going to do research online and then they're going to go to the store and then they're going to read reviews and then they're going to go to social media and see what people are saying about it in social media. And then they're going to ask for referrals and their friends and, and then they're going to buy using their mobile phone or, or, you know, they just buy in so many different ways. 
that's now bled into B2B. It's no longer B2B sales is no longer just phone and email and face to face. You better be communicating and connecting with your your buyer on LinkedIn and social media. Uh, texting is uh, approved now, especially if you already have a relationship and it's a current account. Uh, so video is a great way to reach people nowadays. So now think about what I just said. You know, you got phone, you got email, you got face-to-face, you have video, you have texting as an option now, you have social media as an option now. Those are all different ways to connect and have more conversations with your buyer in the B2B space. And that was very much led, I think, from consumer behavior. Yeah. So a lot of really interesting stuff going on. It's definitely um, mirroring B2B. Do you think we'll see a change uh, do you think there'll be a place where enterprise a day where enterprise software is totally purchased without a salesperson? Yeah, I do. Uh, but again, it's not necessarily because it's the sales process. It's the buyer preference. To me, it's whatever the buyer prefers. And salespeople better be listening and paying attention and following the buyer's preference instead of forcing their preference on the buyer. So um, I'll give you an example at market source we landed a recently landed a client um and we're we're a premium package so this is a seven figure deal and um i got the lead actually through linkedin so social selling and they reached out to me we had discovery everything was over the phone everything was over conference call we had the contract signed we never met them in person not once so it, just this just this year, it's happened. Now, we're not a software company. We're a services company. But there's an example at services. If I think if it can happen in services, I think it can definitely happen in software where people are going to do their own research. Like they say, 70% of the journey is going to be uh, the buyer doing it on their own, doing research, looking for referrals, asking, around, asking their friends if they're using different softwares, what do they recommend? And then they're going to reach out. Um, and then, of course, you have the whole buying committee and finance approvals you have to go through. But... I do think it's, uh, you can close deals 100% virtually. Having said that, I also think there's an advantage when the buyer prefers or wants face-to-face, you better be there to take advantage of it uh, against your competition. Because I've also heard of deals being closed this year where uh, there was uh, the the prospect was researching and was uh, had a couple competing vendors uh, that they were investigating and one of the vendors did go in and meet with the with the buying committee in person, and they got the deal. I'm not saying they got the deal because they met with them in person, but I think it did help. So no, you got to read the room now more than ever and adjust to the buyer's preferences and not force your preferences on them. Yeah, no, I th- so I think that you brought up something that's really important. And I think this is like an any sale. So I find this in, in sales, particularly, you know, get on LinkedIn, you're going to see this, right? You're going to see one-sided kind of belief systems. So this doesn't work or that doesn't work or this wouldn't work for me or that wouldn't work for me. And it's like everything in sales is a dichotomy. It's all like, you know, not only is it a dichotomy, but it's also like it, it change, one person could think it's the worst email that's ever, there's email teardowns, right? So one person's like, this is the worst email ever and they tear it up. And then somebody else sends that email and it's like the most revenue they've ever gotten for their, you know, ever for their business. And so I think things are different. And I think we have a tendency to look at things just from our own perspective, right? Like that wouldn't work on my personality, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. 
No, you got again, everybody's different. You may respond to an email that I wouldn't. I may take a phone call and you never pick up the phone. Uh, I might respond to a direct mail, a direct message on LinkedIn. You never, you know, you know, you may not. It's you get it's why you gotta use it all if you want to have more conversations. Uh, so you know, in summary to what you said, it's it's and not or. Yes. And and not or. I don't know why. I mean, or I mean and is an easier conversation. I mean, and I do think that, you know, from a sales perspective, you know, if you go out there, you're a golfer, so you might even remember this guy. Do you know who Jimmy Ballard is? You ever heard of Jimmy Ballard? Okay. Uh-huh. Jimmy Ballard is, uh, he worked with uh, Curtis Strange the, the two years he won the Open. He worked with Hal Sutton um, multiple times, um, but he got back in the mix when Hal, Hal goes, that year that Hal goes up against Tiger Woods. And uh, puts a run for his money, and he's like, "Be the right club today." Remember that little line? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, TPC Sawgrass. Some yeah, TPC Sawgrass. So, so um, Jimmy Ballard is is his teacher, and he's a teacher of a lot of a lot of guys. But he teaches a really uh, kind of unique golf. Not unique. I mean, it's basically kind of a compact athletic swing. And um, the guy. It, so the story is kind of cool. How he so from Alabama. He learns to play golf. He's a baseball player, but he learned to play golf um, from a guy that played, and I can't remember this guy's name, but the guy played on the tour in the in the mid-50s, and he'd also been the only golfer to um, play in a World Series. So oh. I'm gonna have to Google this guy. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to Google the guy, um, the guy's that's name. Like, and I'll, that's like my eleven year old's dream you just described right that's there. That's like your what? My 11-year-old, that's his dream. He wants to play for the Cubs and play in the Masters in the same year. That's okay. That's, so That's his ultimate dream. That's his ultimate dream. So yeah. I'm going to tell you the name. I can't remember the name of the guy that he that he learns, that Jimmy Ballard's going to learn from, Sammy Bird. Okay, so Sammy Bird is from Alabama, and he plays uh, for the Yankees, and they used to call him uh, Babe Ruth's feet because he would, uh, he would get on base for Babe and run, pinch hit. And so he taught – um, he played in the Masters a couple times, so he's only got to play in the Masters, play in the World Series, and um, uh, Sammy Bird is. And so what Bird did was he re- he he would play baseball with Babe, and Babe used to put a towel under his arm. And so when they would swing, he would swing the bat and try to keep his elbow on his chest and hit it with his chest. So if you ever watch Babe Ruth swing, it doesn't look like the swings that the baseball players make today. It's all like upper body. And um, so he taught this kind of compact, almost like a baseball swing. Um, but but Jimmy Ballard will go on to have a lot of really great, um, great athletes that he works with. But he taught a very specific swing, and he believed his way was the only way. So everybody else was dumb. Nobody else was swinging the golf club right. His was the only way. But the reality is, if you look at all the, the great golfers, nobody swings the club the same way. You know, uh, Byron Nelson dipped. You're not supposed to dip. Byron Nelson dipped. You're not supposed to swing on a flat plane. Ben Hogan swings on a flat plane. Um, you know, you're, there's all kinds of stuff you're not supposed to do that these guys, that, you know, at the end of the day, all that has to happen is your club's got to be square, right? That's right. Lee Trevino will go 50 yards to the left, open his stance to the left, and then hit it out to the right. So at the end of the day, your club's got to be flat, and I, it's got to be, you know, square. And I think the same thing sort of applies with, uh, you know, sales. Like at the, the end of the day, you got to pay attention to, you got to pay attention. It, it, there's not one size fits all is really what I'm getting at. I there's agree. And I, think a, I think a lot of sales reps really get stuck in their own status quo and what worked for them in the past and they stick with it. Um, 
And again, I think you have to pay attention to how buyers are changing, how buyer preferences are changing, um, especially in B2B and, and the committees that are involved. And, and um, look, if you're selling the same way that you sold 15 years ago, you're going to get laughed by competition. So, so, so how does that, you know, have you guys made changes to your sales process in we terms have. of how you go to market to affect the, how the buyers are buying? We have, and it's very much the omni-channel approach that I, that I described earlier. And then we apply it to the technology so that it's built into our sequences and cadences. And, and so if we're cold outreaching, it's not just phone and email anymore. It's there's there's social media connections in there. There's direct messages in there. There's video added to the it, to the email. All of that is intended to increase our percent, our number of conversations per rep per day. And if you have more conversations, you have more deals that go into pipeline. And that's the leading indicator that lead, gets you to the lagging indicator. So uh, very much the omni channel approach, which is exactly what we call my my business unit, my division at Market Sources, where the B2B omni channel sales. Gotcha. Now, what other products do you have? I know uh, Market Source is part of a large. Tell us a little bit about the business. So, Market Source is a part of a larger uh, suite yeah. of products, right, or a larger suite of services. Um, well, we're all, we're owned by Allegis Group, which is the world's largest, the largest human capital firm in the United States. So, they own um, some of the largest uh, and mo- and definitely the most successful staffing companies that you've heard of, the Aerotechs of the world, Tech Systems. Um, so that's Allegis Group, our parent company. What makes us different than our sister companies is we are managed staffing. So we manage our team, not just go and hire and hand them to our clients. We actually hire them and manage them ourselves. Uh, we do this through applying people process technology. So we learn how to recruit and hunt and find talent from the DNA that comes from Allegis. So finding talent is our strength. It all starts there. And we have an army of recruiters in-house to go find the right talent with the right experience in the right markets. Then we apply process to everything we do um, from a sales point of view. So we have very smart business process engineers who graduate from here at Georgia Tech, and we actually apply their engineering principles to sales. And then we apply a tech stack to it. Now, uh, Market Source has two business units. We have a retail division. So you've probably run in, been in retail stores and saw a manufacturer rep there to answer questions about a specific product uh, or brand. That good probably chance. Probably one of your was- guys. That was one of ours. Uh, and then I'm on the B2B side where uh, all of our programs uh, sell our, or, you know, are into B2B sales from inside sales to outside sales, uh, managing channel, managing tail accounts, lead generation. You mentioned that sales development. So anything that generates revenue for businesses, uh, we're, we're hired to do. Now, do you guys do full, uh, you know, full cycle sales as well? Not just the lead we, generation piece. So we do. In fact, most of our, most of our engagements are, account management or customer success type. So we're not here to displace or replace your existing sales team. But what you'll find is your existing sales team are calling on the Pareto principle, the 20% of your accounts that are generating 80% of your revenue, and they keep buying from you every month. Well, the tail accounts can grow as well. In fact, probably have an even better opportunity for growth. And so a lot of times we'll be assigned those tail accounts, those tier B and tier C's, uh, and our job is to grow those accounts, or our job is to grow the revenue through the channel partners, whether it's through advocacy and training and holding the channel partners accountable to their uh, their results and making sure that they're selling. How do you do that? Uh, that seems like a task. It's, it is. Uh, 
it's it's mind share. Channel management is all about mind share because they can sell a variety of products, right? They can sell whatever's hot that day, and you got to capture the mind share of the channel partner and their sellers. They're going to sell what they know. So if you're there doing lunch and learns, if you're there doing webinars, if you're there doing training with them constantly, giving them the updates and marketing material that they need, changes in prices, changes in products, new features, new new incentives that might be out. Um, you know, you got to be there and capturing the mind share of your channel partners so that, and, and more importantly, their sales teams. And if you do that, again, they're going to sell more of your product. And so uh, it's all about capturing mind share. So I know uh, early, early on here, when I, when I got you, uh, you know, you know I sent the email out to you. So the one thing that I wanted to sort of talk about is, can you talk a little bit about sales, de- outsourcing sales development? When should you do it? When should you not do it? What are the keys to success? Um, how do I know when to evaluate it? How do I know when to bring it in house? Um, what makes me a good candidate, bad candidate? Yeah, there's several options. So lead gen, that is, that's, Right, that's the most common solution that B2B sales companies are hired for. I think there's several scenarios and, and you, it's important that you find the right partner and it's not always gonna be market source to be honest. And here's one, here's a classic example. Let's say you're a startup and you're ready to scale, right? You're, you're a software company or you're even a transactional hardware company, doesn't matter. And you might have an influx of money that just came in. You got your series A round came in or some sort of seed round came in and you're ready to invest. You need to fill that pipeline quickly. Well, you could do it. You could try to build that sales team yourself of SDRs, right? How long is that going to take, right? That could take several weeks, if not months to recruit and find the SDRs. Then you got to put your training, you got to put your processes in place. Then you got to document those processes, preferably digitally and build out your playbooks. Then you got to build out your tech stack so that they're efficient and they're not spending too much time doing research and guessing on who to call. That's a big build out that can take months. Let's be honest, months. months. Or you outsource that, right? Because the outsource agencies like us, we can find the talent very quickly. We have the in-house recruiters, so we can find the right talent. Then we can build the processes and playbooks that training is ready to go. And then we have the tech stack for, you know, we have our CRMs, we have our sales engagement tools, we have our auto dialers, we have everything ready to go on day one, right? And that way it's more speed to market. So you have this strategy, you have this strategy in place, but executing it by yourself can take months or you can outsource it and get to revenue on your strategy faster. Having said that, that also means you can scale up and scale down that outsourcer, right? They can get you started while you're doing it yourself or building your own in-house team. Some outsourcers like us will even let you hire our reps directly after a period of time so we can be that bench of talent for your AEs someday, for example. So those are some really good examples of lead gen. The other example I would give besides scale is you're in a funk right now. You're behind on your pipeline goals. Your pipeline is supposed to be 10X your revenue and it's 3X and you need that jolt for the next six months. You know, that's where you would augment uh, with an outsource provider as well. And then do you guys find, is it difficult to do? So it sounds like you guys are taking an omni-channel approach, which I assume is going to con- going to include like LinkedIn, you've mentioned video, you mentioned email. Um, do you have employees working for multiple accounts 
And are they, is that hard to get that brand, that LinkedIn brand along with the brand of the client? No, we don't. Ours are dedicated. At Market Source, they're dedicated to one client. So they work okay. full time for that client. And everything external, including their LinkedIn profile, uh, has the client's logo and brand. So to to the rest of the world, Market Source is always hidden. I know not all outsource agencies do that, to your point. Some sometimes you have a seller selling one thing and then three hours later they're selling Sell something else. Yeah. We don't do that. We're ours are dedicated. Awesome. Um, so, uh, so let's sort of look at what do you think? So we talked a little bit about the pricing, which I had some real, or just, you know, the, the change of business to business sales in general. And I think you're right. I mean, I, I think the key is to sort of figure out, Hey, you got to read the room. Um, I know anytime somebody says, Hey, uh, somebody says B2B sales is going to be like Netflix. All the sales guys go crazy, right? They're like, everybody like puts the defenses up. They all think they're getting fired, uh, which I don't think is going to happen. But, um, what else do you think is interesting that's going on in the B2B space, maybe in the tech space? Um, anything anything exciting you think, you know, what's the future look like? I, I do think uh, customer success is hot right now and, and it's going to be even hotter in the next several years. So what I mean by customer success, it's a little different than account management. Account management, your job is to uh, go deep and go wide and grow the revenue with your accounts. Customer success is making sure that your accounts are getting value from your product or service so that A, they renew and B, they can add more licenses as your customers grow. And then you can also go deep and wide. And so the reason I say customer success is hot is because subscription is growing. So subscription obviously is, is where software got its start. Uh, the recurring revenue model there, but I'm seeing, you're seeing subscription move into areas outside of software. For example, this is a consumer example, but this is a great example. You can have subscription on Lincoln motor cars or even a Porsche. If you have $2,000 a month, you pay $2,000 a month and you can go pick up, hey, I want to drive a 911 this week. And next week I'm going on a road trip. I better go pick up a Cayenne. You can drive a different car anytime you want uh, while you're that subscription. So that's an example of that's not software. That's a hardware, that's a product that you can go to subscription. Well, you're even seeing in the B2B space, transitioning B2B, you're seeing companies who are selling hardware products, but now they're selling them as a service. So, so they're paying attention to when your equipment might need replaced. They're paying attention to what components of that equipment need enhanced or what new features might need to come with that equipment. And instead of buying it as a one-time transaction, you can buy, now buy as a service. And that way the, the manufacturer and the supplier is keeping your equipment running. So I think I think of printing, for example, you got these big fancy printers and you keep buying them one at a time and the toner keeps coming in one at a time, or you have a subscription model where everything's happening uh, in that space. So there's a lot of industries that have been around a long time that are moving to subscription. So therefore, the reason customer success comes into play, going 360 on this conversation, is the flywheel only works for growth if you retain your customers, customers. right? So therefore... You have to have customer success motions in place, especially with your biggest and best customers, but even your tail accounts through digital, where you're making sure, do they see value in their subscription? Are they getting the proper training they need on your new products and features? Are you proactively checking in on them versus just waiting for them to react versus reacting when they call you? Because when they call you, that's a 411 or 911 
fire blazing issue. No, you need to stay on top of them proactively and schedule those cadences. And then when it's time to renew, you're not calling them 30 days before the contract's due. You're already having the conversation 90 days before it's due. That is an entire new motion of sales, frankly, um, that is growing and up and to the right that I think a lot of companies are paying attention to because in the last year, we learned how important it is to keep your customers. Well, that's not going to go away. It's very important that you keep your customers and reduce churn while your sales team is bringing in new ones. And I think customer success is actually a revenue generating department, not just a, you know, keep your customer happy department. Now, do you think that goes along? You know, why? So I guess the question is why historically is customer success sort of putting on the, you know, somebody from Kinsey came in and, or somebody from McKinsey came in. At some point, I know it was McKinsey because I read the book and they said, um, hey, we need to cut this out because this is a cost. We got we got to offshore this stuff. Why, why is that the natural bend? Why is everybody was it? Why do people not see the value in customer success? I mean, you described it. You sh- it that's what it is. It is value. Right. But people have a tendency to put it on the on the on the back burner. Because it's it's not as transparent to see the revenue that it's generating, right? And so, look, here's 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 the financial benefit to customer success. You've already paid for the customer. Your cost of acquisition is already there. So if you improve your your uh, uh, retention of your current customers by just ten percent, every dollar that you, every percentage you improve, that drops right to your bottom line. To your to your earnings, okay, and your profits because you've already put in the cost to get that customer in. So financially, a lot of people just don't understand the value of improving your retention. That actually, it's not about revenue; it's about earning. It's about the profit profitability. You you become more profitable by improving your retention and reducing your churn. And a lot of people just don't financially understand that, in my opinion. And and we're talking about something kind of like what you said earlier. This isn't new. Right, taking care of your customers is, is not new? a new. Yeah. This isn't yeah. this isn't a new thing. It is a new method. There's some new approaches to it, but we're reinventing something here in a in I think a sensical way. This just this just makes sense to me. Yeah, no, I think so. So the customers, or you got me laughing. First of all, uh, you're right. It's not new. It's repackaged. And I, I think in business specifically, there's a guy that I follow uh, online named Chris Walker. He's a marketing guy. Uh, he's a little negative outbound, so I'd like to see him a little more pro outbound. But nonetheless, he talks a lot about um, demand generation and ROI. And I hear him putting a lot of things out there about how, um, you know, we like we, we love to connect the dots on ROI. Right. And a lot of times, you know, good branding, um, good execution. It's hard to connect the dots. And I think people just drastically want to know that, hey, I, I it's very transactional. And the challenge with so the question that I would pose to you is like, you know, what's the ROI on just having your stuff together? You, you can't actually say we had our stuff together versus we didn't have our stuff together. And here's the Delta because you actually can't you can't know the Delta. Now, you right. can go look at somebody like Chick-fil-A. What's the difference between Chick-fil-A and McDonald's? The sandwiches taste the same. It's just a chicken sandwich. Uh, but you're down in Atlanta, and I'm I'm assuming that your drive-through lines are as um, fraudulently or not not fraudulently uh, neglect uh, negligently crazy negligent. The parking okay. lots are negligent. 
uh, meaning that they're out of control. Uh, they're just insane, but it's because they have a great experience, right? So like one drive through McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, I mean, it's a total different experience. Two Well, they teach the please and thank yous. They teach the comments. They teach you how to be a human, which again, I think is part of yeah. a sales conversation. No, it right? is. They, it is they, they teach you how to be human. They teach you that everybody that they that you interact with is a person who has their own story and you don't know what that story is. And and that's what that's what Chick-fil-A is very good at teaching is just that human to human interaction, which I think is the basics of sales. Uh, and and you're right. That is why they're so successful. Although I do think their sandwich is pretty good. <laughs> it, 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 no, the sandwich is good, but it's it's uh, it, it definitely I, I read an article on Monday from Business Insider that said, um, hey, I tried the McDonald's chicken sandwich. It's, it tastes just like the Chick-fil-A sandwich. I couldn't tell the difference. But the, the real value is in the process. So I'm going to challenge you on something. So if, if you go to the Chick-fil-A, if you went to me as a Chick-fil-A buyer, I think most people would say that those kids standing out by the drive-through are super annoying. And I would prefer to just go through the drive-through line, but they're no, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Now tell me why, why are you shaking your head? I love it. It's, it's a, it's, it's a smoother process. You feel you like can, it's smoother. I totally, you'll see a line that's long at Chick-fil-A and you'll think, Oh Christ, this is going to, this is going to take forever. Uh, you get in that line and it's moving. Now you see that same length, in any other restaurant, and it is going to take forever because you have to wait till you get to the speaker, and then you place your order, and then you're waiting in line for uh, the family like me who has a big family order, and, and, and everybody's in the back seat barking their orders up, right. up to the. We're holding, we're holding everyone up. That's us. I admit it. I'm the one that you're honking at, and so um, at all other restaurants except Chick Fil A. That's a, that line is brutal. Chick-fil-A, those people out in, in the parking lot taking your order with their iPad and, they, and you can pay while you're right there. And then all you have to do is pick up when you're ready to go. And very rarely have I ever, I have experienced them messing up an order, but it's very oh, rare. Ours, ours, messes up all the, ours messes up all the time. But it could be because my kids are rolling down the windows in the back and trying to swipe their own credit cards and confusing the crap out of the, <laughs> the, the lady. But no, they do run a good... They do run a great, I do think the people make a difference. I mean, I do. I, here's, here's, here's a tearjerker for you. This is, there's a two minute video. You can find it on, on YouTube and it's a great video for onboarding your own employees. So YouTube, Chick-fil-A, everyone has a story. Okay. Next time you get a chance, just, just YouTube that. It's a two-minute video that I hear that they give as a training for their onboarding of new employees. It's a tearjerker. It's a tearjerker video. And I've seen it dozens of times. I always get choked up every every time I see it. Um, and uh, it's a great way to explain their story and how they train their people. I'll have to, ch- I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. I do know that I was in the Chick-fil-A in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and they had somebody had let napkins get on. This was probably three years ago. There were napkins on the floor. And somebody was sitting, one of the employees, um, uh, it was exit like 2.15, just in case you're listening you're on that restaurant. Uh, <laughs> the kid was sitting on just like, you never see a Chick-fil-A employee ever in the restaurant sitting, never. And so I felt like it was my restaurant. You know, they've created a situation where like, if you see something not excellent, it's like a really big violation. At least in my, that's how I, I see it. Like, I felt like, hey, you know, I needed to write, maybe it's just because I'm a, a 
crusader. But I felt like, hey, <laughs> these guys that should, you know, this is my Chick-fil-A. So I felt like, you know, you just don't ever see that. So they really have figured out how to, how to sell. I think they're in the, the excellence business more than anything else. So, um, all right. Well, Ben, anything else? Um, I guess how to do. I think you did great. Um, you know, considering, and you can edit this however you want your line of work. I would also add that despite my conversation about omni-channel and its significance, phone conversations are always the number one channel and always have the highest contact rates, always have the highest engagement. And the one thing I do caution people when it comes to omni-channel, I see sales reps sometimes rely too much on email and social, and they, they, they actually pendulum swing too far to the other forms of communication and yet the tried and true phone is still the best. Uh, and I think it will be for the foreseeable, fu- for the foreseeable future. Uh, well, awesome. Well, Hey Ben, I loved having you on. This was great. You covered some really good stuff. I love the customer success piece and uh, thanks for ha- coming on. This was awesome. All right. Thanks for reaching out. Let's stay in touch. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, You can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.